and welcome back to the sweet spot where IT executives have a conversation to help you as an IT leader succeed. And again, I have with me two great executives. I have Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Hey guys. Hey Carlos. Hey there. So Paul, about a week ago, I think we were talking about AI and how it will change and how it will apply to humans. And it was a very interesting conversation. Um, can you share a little bit about that? Uh, sure. So recently I wrote a blog on AI, specifically about sort of the impact to humans on AI. And I uh, created the conjecture that I thought the totality of human experience was uh, about having a good cup of coffee, chatting with friends, and going home and watching TV. And that all of technology, including AI, was uh, an endeavor to create automation out of those three things. <laughs> and that led to a conversation on uh, robotics and on synthetic humans and taking over the world and what that meant for uh, automation in vehicles and automation of, of a replacement of humans. Um, and it boiled down to a conversation simply on, on prediction or on prescription. Uh, and I had a little rant on why I thought that was much further away than what uh, someone in front of me was talking about. And I, I kind of gave them this analogy. I simply said that humans can't be categorized like cars. I actually think that the data science stuff that we work on now simply can't be applied, can't be applied to people in any way. The reason why is because people are, they're messy, they're individuals. Uh, they have far more unknown attributes than obvious known attributes. Of course, people have behavior that is difficult to both detect and appreciate, and it's unpredictable at all times. People have free will. They make decisions that are both constructive and destructive, sometimes purposely both ways. And of course, other people affect your individual behavior. Whether you're reacting differently to people or people are reacting differently to you, then there's this interaction. Uh, since you can't reasonably bucketize people, you can't really feasibly understand their attributes or their markers. You can't look at a bunch of people and say, these specific attributes determine and the, person, the personality or the personification of an individual person. I certainly can put someone in a bucket. Nobody's stopping you from doing that. I can say these hundred people not like vanilla ice cream, but you can't really determine whether any one individual in that bucket actually likes vanilla ice cream to the extent that it's their favorite. I think, I think uh, data science stuff will likely stick to things rather than people, objects, ob especially objects that generate data, that are engineered, that have a limited motion, that only do a certain set of activities and think, uh, that only, that doesn't think, just does. Uh, I think that uh, data science things should concern itself with the data available, data created, data modified, um, and can have some level of prediction. Uh, and I think in general, data science stuff isn't modeling. Um, um, uh, or data stuff, data science stuff isn't AI, it's just modeling behavior, something that's predictable. Now, 
Um, once it gets to the point that it in fact can simulate human behavior, um, I think it's going to require something big, right? It's going to require a lot of quantum compute. It's going to require a whole bunch of data that's going to require DNA storage. I'm going to require a need, um, you know, hundreds of petabytes of information to really predict a human implementation. Um, and you're going to need a lot of power for all of that. You're going to need rooms full of power to make sure you have the appropriate compute and storage to do all that work. So that's my general perspective. Howard, what do you think? Uh, as I think you would expect after having worked with me, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to dis have a nuanced disagreement. Um, I think to get to 100%, you're right. Right. If I if I want to 100% know how any individual human is going is going to react in any specific situation, you're correct. That being said, it's not really the goal of AI. Right. Uh, it may be the long term, you know, like Terminator goal of AI. But ultimately, what we're trying to do today is figure out the the 80%. And the 80%, we don't even need to know why. We just need to know that things are true. And that's kind of what what we're doing with AI today right? Um, things are true. Like people in a manic episode, bipolar people that are in a manic episode are more likely to make poor decisions and thus are more likely to do things like participate in online casinos or go to Vegas. Therefore, we need to figure out, can we detect them? How do we detect them? And then market directly to them. I use this as an example because this is being done today, right? Companies are buying internet data from Google, then creating, running it through algorithms, and then targeted marketing casinos to people that are going through manic episodes that are so early in the manic episode, their own therapists and people who know them cannot detect the signs of a manic episode, and it's effective. It's extremely devious, it's the opposite of ethical, but it is also working, right? And I don't need to know what kind of ice cream you like or what hair color you have or any of the other kind of chaos items about you. I just need to know that if my thesis is true, then the result is also true 80% of the time. And 80% and today is good enough. Now, if let's say there's 4 million people that I'm targeting with those manic episodes, I'm getting 80%, so 3.2 million of them, leaving a net result of 800,000 that I'm not able to, to reach today. If I want to reach that other 20%, yeah, I probably don't have the technology, the knowledge, the understanding to be able to do that. If I reach half of them, I still have 10% left, right? Um, and so the question becomes, are we using AI to do good enough or do we want AI to, to be perfect? If it's perfect, then what you said is 100% true. We don't have the compute power necessary to do it. Um, and all of that is understanding people long before we get into the replicating people. I think I'd have two considerations with your point. So consideration number one, um, do you think or do we think there's enough data to support the conclusion of the probability? In other words, was there enough data to prove that you're 70 versus 71%, 80 versus 83%? No. Um, and if you think you do, or right, you don't, because I don't think you would. And, and is there even a, is there a department of good Right, somebody to determine whether, in fact, you have enough good data to determine whether this probability is true. So that's one dimension, and I, and I don't think we're there. We're there yet. So yes, I think you could bucketize people, but you can't attribute it to an individual necessarily. 
And the other side is um, replaceability of the individual human. So at what point is the probability good enough that you don't need a doctor, that you won't have a pilot in the plane, right? That you won't have a human actually making that ultimate life or death decision that you're comfortable with something else doing it on behalf of the human. Well, I, I don't think we're there that's yet. a very different thing though, right? That's a very different thing. <laughs> yeah. Because on one hand, automated cars within five years will be to the point where they're better drivers than human beings. Um, that being said, human beings won't be comfortable with automated cars for 15 years. Right. Right. And so and I in think five that, years, in five years, there'll still be dedicated lanes. There'll still be bumpers on both sides. Still, you know, it's like there's still other constraints and limitations just to ensure they don't interact with the non-automated driverless cars. I think that's, a re I, but I think that's a human reaction, not a machine reaction. Like, I think that's a limitation of humans, not a limitation of the machine. The machine doesn't mm. care if another machine is driving or not. Um, if we were to develop automated cars that required internet connectivity for them to operate in an automated fashion, we have failed completely and they should not be allowed on the road. Right? In the same way that, that an airplane that doesn't have twice the number of engines required to keep it in the air should not be allowed in the air right? Redundancy is designed. You, you don't have one mirror that sees behind you. You're required to have two, right? Um, because we need that kind of redundancy so you can get a clear picture when something breaks. Um, and cars are no different than that, right? So the, an autonomous car needs to be an autonomous car by itself. It can feed data back, right? There can be all kinds of learning algorithms that work on future improvements to make that car a better car, more, you know, better at its job, allow it to interact, but its decision-making process should be totally self-contained within the car. In that case, any separation of lanes, any separation of humans is really a human problem, not a machine problem. As in, we don't trust mm -hmm. the machines. We think we're still better decision-makers when the science shows we're not, and thus we feel the need to separate them. And I think the statistics will, will show that it's a significantly fewer number of cars automated cars that get into accidents versus humans per capita, I, I, right? You have to adjust for the numbers and, and in five years, it'll be a very small percentage of, of automated cars versus driver cars, driverless versus driver cars. Yeah. But will you switch your car for a driverless yes, car? Absolutely. I will switch, well, uh, I will switch my daily driver for a driverless car the moment the technology is approved and I can get, a, and I can get you know, long distances with it. I, I would own a Tesla today if I felt I could afford it. But I would argue that that is much closer to um, instinct than, let's say, diagnosing cancer or even landing a plane or, you know, but, saying like but then the driving is, a car is, is far more, is far more rules and regulations and physical environment versus taking out a professional, like, like a lawyer, there isn't going to be a, you know, a robotic lawyer making yes, decisions there is. for you. There absolutely <laughs> is. There's robo-attorney today. They're using AI to replace a lot of the common things that, that attorneys and paralegals do today. And almost universally, it's good, it's, it's good enough in the way that the attorney was good enough. But are they arguing on your behalf no, in a courtroom? That they cannot do. Right. right. I, I, I talked to a college. That's the consideration. 
so I, I talked to a college class about this exact thing. What, what are the jobs that AI is going to replace? And I argued lawyer is one of the things that's relatively early. Most attorneys aren't trial attorneys. They never see the inside of a courtroom in the same way that cops don't ever fire their gun in anger. Right? They don't, they don't draw and fire their gun as in defense of something or to stop someone. Right? The only time they fire is at the range. Um, lawyers are kind of the same way. Most of them never appear in court. They never argue in front of a jury. They, they, don't, they just don't do those things. There's so much other stuff involved in the law. And a computer is good at a lot of those things. Not all of them, but it gets better and better and better. Where it fails is it's never going to be able to argue in front of a jury. Like wheeling a, a, a rolling cabinet up, turning on a monitor, and having an artificially generated face come up there <laughs> is not going to be possible, right? Earning that em empathetic reaction is never going to be possible. What will be possible, though, is having an AI on your computer that listens to, the, to what happens in court and advises the attorney on arguments that may or may not work. Yeah, and I think augmented AI and assisted AI is 100% to be true. Augmented being, I should be able to change the outcome based on something I know human that the computer doesn't know, right? Um, and assisted AI is saying, I'm going to ride along this human interaction and give you advice, right? Or provide some other electronic means uh, like translation, right? That you wouldn't be able to do in real time just based on the mindshare of a human being. I, I think those are absolutely going to occur before full autonomy. Well, they'll, it's, a, it's a journey, right? So they'll absolutely occur before yes. full human replacement, if we want to use that term. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we also still have the challenge of kind of good enough and what is the goal, right? The goal isn't to replace mm -hmm. humans today. Um, we don't have the processing power, but what what is quantum computing going to be like in a generation? Right. I don't think I can even guess at the questions we're going to be able to answer using the power of quantum computers in a generation. We, like, we can't think, I don't think we can think of questions today that, that are truly kind of worthy of the challenge of quantum computing. We just think of that as, as the next level of, of, you know, an exponential increase from the teraflops we can do today when in fact it has the ability to answer questions that don't just have a yes or no answer. That's the beauty of it. And so how do we then mm -hmm. look at that and go, this, this thing that we can't do today won't happen. I, I'm not willing to say it won't happen, but we're a mile away from that. We're miles and miles away from that, right? Um, right. And there's a bunch of questions that have to be answered along the way that I think are infinitely more important. Um, how do we really define ethical AI in a way that doesn't thoroughly stifle innovation, but at the same time doesn't create a system whereby we're replaced? Um, and how do we handle things like the Google AI that decided to talk to itself and develop a language that we didn't understand in any way, shape, or form that freaked us out so we had to turn it off? And it did it in a weekend. <laughs> it did it in right. a weekend. Like that, there's some components there that are scary. We can't describe what happens inside AI that allows it to reach its decision. It is, in fact, a black box, for the most part. Um, how do we mm -hmm. fix that? And, and by fix it, I don't mean how do we open up the black box so that it's self-describing, because that may not be possible in all cases. But some of it is how do we fix the human behavior that requires it to be explained? Right? And in what cases are we okay with it? And in what case do we need it explained? And in what case are we okay with it not being explained? Like we have to 
from a societal standpoint, from a human understanding standpoint, we have to start really clearly defining where, where should we trust? Not where do we trust, but where should we trust and where should we not? Frankly, um, I trust the government a lot less than I trust machines. Machines are a series of ones and zeros, a series of gates that make decisions. At least I know there's some science behind the decisions that are being made. Right. I can't, I can't assume the same thing for human beings. Right. Um, if, if I were, I would be a lot more trusting of human beings if there were no such thing as a flat earther, if there was no such thing as an anti-vaxxer. Right. If, if we ourselves were ruled by logic and reason and science and had some way to measure the reality of those things that we all commonly understood, then I, I wouldn't be an AI fan as much as I am. But the fact is, I mean, look around you. I think we need all the help we can get. <laughs> so we need the Vulcan implementation here. Um, I think the, we kind of do, yeah. If I, were to, if I were to summarize the sort of the speech there is that I think we still need to have a human understanding of sort of the power principle, the identity principle, and the transparency principle, right? And that we need to ensure that we have a full understanding of the data used to create that level of automation, that we don't lose the sense of identity that I can't just be bucketized with a million people. It actually has to serve my individual purpose. And of course, that the power doesn't, audit, doesn't leave me and that goes to somebody else, either the machine or some other you know, indiscriminate government body to determine whether you know, this is gonna be effective for me or not. So as long as those three dimensions are still true, then, then, uh, then it still sort of falls in the, the ethical arena. So we are required to maintain our own agency. That should be, the main goal of government should be to ensure human beings are able to exercise as much agency as they possibly can without their agency reducing someone else's agency. And then human life can never be reduced down to a dollar value. If you're ever looking mm -hmm. at human life, reducing it to a dollar value, you are making an ethical misjudgment, let's say. Right. And so if AI is used to remove agency, then we're failing. If AI is used to remove the value of human life, which is just by giving it a dollar amount, much less reducing that dollar amount, then we're failing. Right. And it is important to understand that my consideration was your agency should not in, in interfere with other people's agency. It's why I can say things like, I'm a big fan of automated cars because it reduces the you know, hundreds of thousands of people killed worldwide and worldwide year over year, much less the millions of accidents that happen worldwide because that's your agency interfering with the other person in the accident's agency um, versus uh, using AI to make a determination on what your healthcare cost should be and thus what the healthcare industry should uh, actually pay for you. Mm -hmm. I think those are drastically different decisions um, that mathematically probably look very similar, but the, the real impact of them I think is very, very different. So Carlos, that's the end of rant. <laughs> well, that was a very interesting topic and for all the listeners, Send us your questions, share this podcast and video with your friends, family, and coworkers, and we'll see you on our next episode.